2: You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you do that, before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It also contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Drag-On Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. And we help people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives, and secondarily because it tends to... prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we would appreciate you doing so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581 and press 1 on your phone. Or you can send us an email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org. Or you can email Jeannie at J-E-A-N-I-E at Yagain.org. Why That's W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N dot O-R-G. And if we get an email from you, we'll address your comment or question or feedback on the Internet show, and then as time allows, send you a notification about what day and time that occurred so you can listen back to the archives for the feedback or input. And we are very grateful whenever anybody chooses to do that, as it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work is to be a service. And if you'll let us know how we can do that more effectively or efficiently, we would be happy. Tonight's a Thursday night, so there will be a support group. You can join us absolutely free. If you have money, you can donate, but that's not a requirement for participation. All the information you would need to join us is available at the the MindShiftersAcademy.org website, and um, it's just a Zoom link that you can find and type into your computer and join the Zoom meeting that runs from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Central Time, and... um, We'd be grateful if you would join us yourself and or if you would pass that information along to somebody you think might benefit from knowing about it. So, yesterday as we were reading, we finished our second read-through of The Way of Mastery Lesson 3 with Commentary. And so this is a good time to open up the phone lines for comments, questions, feedback before deciding what's our next course of action. Do we move on to Lesson 4? Do we go back through Lesson 3? Lesson 3 says right near the end, as I was reading yesterday, there is much in this lesson for you to go back and reread, to get deeper and deeper understanding of and getting better and better at the practice of forgiveness at the practice of dismantling your judgments and your perceptions that paragraph that I read yesterday reads there is much That has been said in this lesson that needs to be read again and again so that the mind begins to truly grasp how important and how powerful forgiveness as a process is if you stay with it if you work with it you will reach a place where you absolutely delight in going through your day expressing forgiveness, like a wave emanating from the ocean of your consciousness, even if nobody's doing anything that you feel offended or triggered by. Forgiveness itself, this idea of dismantling perceptions and judgment, becomes a delightful energy to live with And I think it's safe to say that the reader, me as the reader, and everybody else listening has a long way to go before they're able to live in that energy moment to moment, breath to breath. And I think it's safe to say that because we live in a culture that's taught us the opposite, that's literally conditioned us all of the days of our lives to the opposite. We've been conditioned to judging We've been conditioned to evaluating, choosing who's right, who's wrong, what's up, what's down. We actually live in a culture that brags about fighting and dying for our beliefs. And if you just read through the first three lessons of the way of mastery and take a deep look at what's being offered there, it's quite easy to reach the conclusion that it's just the, it's utter silliness to die for a belief at this deeper level. A belief is an old dead pattern of thoughts. And if you want to die, for an old dead pattern of thoughts, you can. That's a choice we can make. If you want to kill other people for that, you can. That's a choice people make. It's just not recommended as useful. So. Call a number is 563-999-3581. You call that number and press 1 and offer some feedback. It would be appreciated. How has it landed for you to think about the essential message of the first three lessons in the way of mastery? And as they call us to living from direct observation and questioning every conclusion and every belief. And understanding what the process of denial of the primary axioms, what that's done to our relationships, how it's prevented us from actually having a relationship with another person, has literally created nothing but a relationship between us and our fantasies of that person, us and the veils of perception that we have created and laid on top of and kept between us and the actuality of life. The more we literally uh, allow the truth of our distorted perceptions to take hold. The more we get, as this work says, deeper and deeper access to the truth of our own consciousness. Area code 541, you're in the air.
3: Good morning, Dr. Tim. This is- Hello, can you hear me? Can you hear me now? I,
2: can. I do hear you. It is this Belinda? welcome
3: <laughs> It is. Good morning. Thank you for touching on that a dying for our beliefs. I was just I, um, a lot of things pop into my mind when I first wake up in the morning, and the other morning, I woke up and one time, quite a long time ago, some spiritual teacher was talking about hope 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 was a useless emotion and I never figured that out um, and I, I well I couldn't figure it out and so it just popped in on my mind is that oh I understand what he was trying to say I believe hope is really there's a subterranean thought pattern under that which or emotion under that which is fear is sort of like Oh, I hope this will happen, and there's just another side to that underneath. Whereas faith is um, is just trusting in things unseen, and I just I just wanted to share that in relation to hope and faith and putting our our life energy into a belief system, which you just stated was something dead from the past because it's an old revelation at very best for a time when it was relevant. I just wanted to share that because it helped me so much. It's almost as if there's faith and there's hope kind of in the middle, and then there's kind of like cynicism or despair, which I would call an anti-faith. But um, those are just words, and I just wanted to share the energy of that, and perhaps you could comment on it for me and expand or reframe.
2: Okay, would be happy to. The idea that these deeper spiritual traditions bring to us is that everything we do with our thought takes us further away from life itself, from the direct experience of life itself. So just breathe into that. Everything we do with thought takes us away from the direct experience of life itself.
3: And can you give me a concrete example of that, something I can just... Get a hold on, yes
2: hold on. yes ab- absolutely take a few deep breaths and let me keep going just okay. sit there without commenting and just let this so here's an idea this is an ancient exercise and of course somebody told it to oprah because everybody tells everything to oprah but an ancient <laughs> exercise is to just walk around And see things without naming them. And watch how your mind wants to judge, to name, to label. And so it is so fully trained into us, conditioned into us, to label, to judge, to put thought between ourselves and our experience of life that we literally have to practice something else. We have to become consciously aware that we're doing it because it's just like this automatic process at a certain level. And then we have to be willing to practice something else. So the practice, the exercise, just go out in nature, go walk somewhere and notice that your mind wants to label. Oh, look, a flower. Oh, look, a grasshopper. Oh, look, a butterfly. Oh, look, a bird. What kind of bird is that? And instead of going with your mind doing that, just notice, the Buddhists would say, just say the word thinking and let the thought go and come back to the direct experience in the moment. Most of us have been so thoroughly conditioned out of just being, being in the moment that we don't even know what that feels like anymore. And in that process, being in thought gives us distance from the direct experience. So Guy Finley talks about it this way. He says, every one of us, if if we're, if we're, you know, honest about it we know a situation where we were in life and th- what was happening kind of took our breath away like whether it was we turn the corner hiking somewhere and there's this unbelievable the beauty of a waterfall or you know we we turn a corner as we're riding our bike or uh, driving in our car and we see these colors of a sunset that just take our breath away and there's a moment when that first experience is occurring where there is no thought. and Way of Mastery, in some of the Q&As and deeper um, dives into the Darshans, it talks about how important it can be in our lives, what a useful thing it can be in our lives to recognize that space before thought. And it's always there. For most of us, it is so brief that we don't even notice it. But it's always there. And if we take the time to notice it and expand it, it's highly valuable. It's just this fraction of a moment to begin with. But there's a moment in every one of our lives as we're living, as we experience something, right before thought comes into play. And what a, what a powerful, productive practice it is to expand that, to become aware of it, and use it as an expanse. Get a little bit more space between... The moment of an experience and my mind rushing to thought. So, thought takes me away from the true experience of life. Right? We got that. Because now, I'm not just with the moment, I'm labeling it, I'm judging it, I'm searching through my past to try and figure out, is this a little tufted titmouse, or is this a little nuthatch, what kind of bird is this, is this that brown, is that a chickadee? Now, I'm not in the moment of just experiencing the thing. I'm going back through my mind and the thoughts of the past and my history and learning and Maybe I'm having emotions get stirred up because the person that taught me so much about bird watching was you know, one of my favorite people, and every time I have an experience like this, I just have fond memories of her and the times we had together out in nature. But now, now I'm not in the moment. I'm flashing back. So we have that first observation that when I'm in thought... I'm I'm stepping away at levels increasing levels I'm stepping away from the direct experience of life Now what is hope if not thought Hope is a pattern of thoughts Just like fear is a pattern of thoughts fear at that emotional psychological level not not at that gut level you know intuitive warning level but at the thought oh i'm afraid that this or that might happen at the level of thought fear is just more thought it's a thought pattern it's a it's a resulting energetic shift because i've poured enough of my mind energy into a particular thought pattern well the same is true of hope it's just a, a thought pattern in a, in a direction other than fear. But it's still thought, and it still takes me away from the direct experience of life. And everything about the deeper spiritual teachings is telling us our complete safety makes it so that we can be directly in connection with the fullness of life in each moment. And that is the only way to truly live it and achieve whatever can be achieved. Everything else is just the spinning machinations of thought. And it leads to problem after problem after problem. But don't worry because our thoughts will have a solution for those problems. And then we will be engaging in what David Bohm calls sustained incoherence. So that's what I would say about hope. Hope is just a pattern of thought. And like every other pattern of thought, it just takes us out of direct connection to the flow of life, to the experience of life. Does that make sense?
3: Yes. And I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if, faith and cynicism and everything else is a thought also.
2: Absolutely. You don't have to wonder about it. You just said the truth of it.
3: I'm remembering something that I read um, that Deepak Chopra said, Deepak Chopra, that um, um, when he was referring to meditation and he said, "Slip." into the space between your thoughts. And I never really understood that in um, a deeper way than through my head. And so I was, and your statement today of expanding more and more into the moment uh, before thought comes up, bubbles up. And he called that.
2: This is, you know, this isn't just Deepak Chopra. This is ancient wisdom that talks about the space between your thoughts. As a matter of fact, the way of mastery is talking about it.
3: Yes, and I was going to say that your statement of ever-expanding spaciousness of this space between the thoughts, um, I just made a link between the two.
2: Well, I think about the invitation to be in that empty headed not knowing space that's, that's the same thing that's that space between thoughts or that that momentary space before thought in in the direct experience of life there is that moment before thought rushes in okay and i'm going to... if we if If we recognize it and we work to acknowledge it and breathe and soften, we can actually expand that experiential frame in the moment so that thought doesn't rush in so quickly. And direct experience has a chance... To, to fill us and educate us about the truth of life in that moment.
3: So my wonder is, how would I discern between an inspiration and a, a thought rushing in?
4: Rushing well, in.
2: the best... The, the, the best I've ever been given as guidance in that regard is that when it's inspiration, it will be calm and focused and centered. And when there's thought involved, there will be doubt. There will be restlessness and anxiety. And it's okay. only through the practice and experience of it that one learns the truth of it for themselves. So for some people, they may uh, experience that it isn't really a true inspiration unless they've got a tingling down their spine. For others, they'll just get that calm, centered feeling. For others, they'll have a, a sense of rippling energy through it. Everybody's going to be different. No one can tell you, oh, here's how you know. And yet, with the willingness to usher yourself into different experiential experiential states, you can learn for yourself. I've had times in my life where I've decided, that's it. I'm not going to do this or that. One of them comes to mind. I was in graduate school. It was an advanced group therapy class. And I had, had established the reputation of, you may, remember the, the, the commercial where the kids don't know whether to eat this cereal or not, and they say, give it to Mikey. He hates everything. Right? And then if Mikey eats it and likes it, then, oh, boy, it's safe for us to eat. So <laughs> I had gotten this reputation that give it to Tim, he'll do it. If it's something that you will know, make a fool or you know be a risk, because you know, I was there to play full out when I was in graduate school. And if somebody said, we need a volunteer for this or that in a class or in a project, I, I, my hand would shoot up. Well, here I was in this advanced therapy class, and I was also going through analysis and dream work and, and a lot of turbulent times in my life and a lot of things going on that were high stress and my dad was ill and all of this other stuff. And I got into this class, and I just said, that's it, I'm not doing it. The guy said, the, the uh, professor said, I can construct a group that would make any person in this room the scapegoat. And, of course, it's full of you know graduate students that think they're you know God's gift to the world. And so, no, you couldn't do that to me. I know how to relate to people, and I know how to communicate, and that would never happen to me. So he said, okay, we'll do it. So people volunteered. They wanted me to volunteer, and I said, no, I'm not going to be a part of the group. And I literally got up on one of those banquet tables with my back against the wall and pulled my knees up to my chest and was sitting there like if I'd had a sombrero and a poncho, I was like trying to get out of the, out of the summer sun and away from all the work. And, and I was just saying to myself, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. And this group got going the way he had set it up, and they were stuck and clearly They were scapegoating this one person. And at the time, my roommate, my apartment mate, was in the role of therapist, the way the the teacher had set it up. And it was devolving. It was getting to be a shouting match. It was anything but a therapeutic group experience. And I was literally sitting there with my arms hugging my knees up to my chest saying, I'm not going to do this, let somebody else do it. And there was like a lightning bolt that went through my spine. And I all but jumped off that table. I don't even remember taking the steps across the classroom. And I stood there because the format was, if you think you've got something to say, just go stand behind the person that you think should be saying it and then make the statement. So I put my hand on my roommate's shoulder and I just started speaking. And um, it immediately changed, whatever it was I was saying, immediately changed the flow in in the group. And my roommate looked up to me stunned and said, do you want to sit down? And I said, no. And he got up out of his chair and my body just sat itself down. There is literally a part of my mind saying, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do this. And another part of me just took over and did it. Now I've had situations like that. Fairly rare, but powerful and strong memories in my life. What you're asking in your question is, how do you know when it isn't something that dramatic? And the best answer I've gotten for it is, if there's a calmness, if there's a quiet sense of knowing, I'm probably receiving an intuition or an inspiration. If I'm sitting there judging it, doubting it, second, third, guessing it, it's not Inspiration or intuition? That's the best answer I have for you.
3: And what I I would love to respond to that is that when I woke up with that thought, it was that kind of calm. Oh, this is not for you. You know, get get on the pot or get off. Make another choice. You know, it was that sort of thing. Practice, practice. And I really appreciate you're expanding on this because that has painted a picture for me that's very very helpful and um it's it's um time to do my spiritual go to the spiritual gym <laughs> practice
2: all right anything else from you today
3: no much gratitude thank
2: you You're entirely welcome and deserving. I'll mute you so you can listen to the rest of this first hour and or second hour. We have plenty of time for input and feedback. 563-999-3581. How can we support you? What would you suggest we do moving forward? We can move on into Lesson 4, we can go back and review anything from Lessons 1, 2, or 3, and or we can support somebody in an entirely different conversation. We are quickly approaching the completion of our 13th year, so there's been a lot of different topics we've covered, and any of them are wide open for discussion or reputation, if you so desire. I was looking back at how many um, hours we spent reviewing and talking about Lesson 3 back in 2022 when we did that, and um, I think it's it's eerily close to the same number of shows that we've done so far in, in talking about Lesson 3 and reviewing it. And my hope is that you're understanding this critical piece, and it's critical you know, because that's what this, the text itself says, there's much here that should be read over and over again. Not for some intellectual exercise, but for the idea of moving into the space where the practice of dismantling your perceptions, the the skill of moving into that empty headed not knowingness which could literally be seen as the practice of forgiveness becomes this delightful energy that you you want to live in moment to moment that energy of questioning every conclusion and everything you think you know and everything you think you need or want and literally asking on a regular basis what's yours to do here? What does this really mean? What does your brother or sister need? Rather than functioning from the intellect that wants to keep asserting its correctness. And that powerful process of asking to be shown, or as Roki would say, learning to live in the question is a big, big part of what the Way of Mastery is trying to help us step into with what it's calling this process of forgiveness. This delightful energy of being in the space of not knowing, empty-headedness, and being willing to ask over and over again, what's mine to do here? How can I be a blessing to myself and, and or others? My, my mind, my eye, and my ear—that's the same as the process of forgiveness, as dismantling judgments and dismantling perceptions with every breath. So we have a hand up. It's six one zero. Is it Susan?
0: Hi, Doctor Tim. Uh, you're right on the cusp of a question i've had. I was talking to Michael Rice yesterday because i've been working on a relationship with a person who shows up in my life you know fairly often and is a strong trigger. <clears throat> And I, I think about, okay, these are my perceptions, these are my thoughts, these are my beliefs, and also there is upset in there, so I know it's contaminated big time. But Michael said there are times when you really do see something. You really do see an actuality. Of course, the pivot point is how you're reacting to it.
3: Um,
0: and so I, I understand all of what you're saying, but... What I hear from what you're saying just now is that we don't know anything. And Michael's saying, yeah, sometimes we do. Can you make any sense of that?
2: Yes, it's a disagreement. Yes. And or you can say from Guy Finley's level of – Guy Finley likes to talk about all of these things happening at a level of scale. So, you know, know, at a certain level of scale – if I'm looking at my car and it's not starting and I go to the owner's manual and I read the words there and it says do this and this and this and then the car starts working, I say, oh, now I knew that. This is something I I have knowledge and I can know this. What we're talking about from the deeper level of life, fate, um, what you might call um, spiritual truth, you know, like Ma- Michael Rice, in one of his talks in the past would say, you know uh, let's talk about the difference between right versus wrong. That's a way to think about things. This is right, that is wrong. Here's another yeah. way to look at some. This thing is right for me. And that thing is not right for me. Now, that, that thing that's not right for me in this moment might have been right for me in the past or might be right for somebody else right now, but I can make the discernment
0: mm-hmm.
2: that it's not right for me. And then he talks about, so I have a friend of his calls and says, Hey, Michael, you know, um, uh, we're going to go rob a bank this weekend. it has got the perfect plan and uh, plenty of money and it's absolutely yeah. safe if you want to come along. And Michael says, Oh, no, thanks. That's not right for me. And he's, he goes on to say, Michael Rice in that moment doesn't know what this other soul might need. Maybe this soul needs a run-in with the police for its yeah. deeper spiritual development. So in that sense, even in Michael Rice's his own lectures and talks and understanding of things, he he gets that point that, that the Way of Mastery is trying to say. If at another, says he, another level he wants to say, oh, yes, I can know that this is right or this is wrong for me, it might just be at a different level of scale. Or it might be, I, I don't know exactly what Michael's thoughts are on this, but it's entirely possible that Michael doesn't agree with this level of depth of that I really can't know anything. He may not agree with that. He might say, oh, no, we we can know. Because he has that tendency to be more solid about certain things, especially in his speech patterns. So I don't know the truth of it.
0: Well, taken from another angle, I'm thinking about this person I'm making an observation and concluding that this person is doing something because they're very angry, or whatever it might be. Um, but there's always, there's always a level of tightening inside of me, so I, I'm stepping right into upset. But I still might know something about them. It, it doesn't really matter, I guess. It's all how I take it, and I should remember that I don't know anything because this person may need to be angry and act out in a certain way.
2: Uh, well, and here's the other thing, that, and you know, if you're talking about Michael Rice, he has really, really, in, in the years I've known him, very, very strong messages that he sends very clearly that says, hey, you know, if you want to tell me I'm angry when I'm not angry, basically what you're saying is if you had these voice tones and facial expressions and said these words, it would mean that you're angry. But that doesn't mean that's what it means for me. And and we're talking about verbatim, powerful, literal quotes that I'm telling you. This is from Michael Rice's teachings, right? That... What, what, you, what you're saying when you're observing somebody else, mm-hmm. oh, that person's really angry. What you're saying is not any truth about that person. What you're saying is if you were displaying those behaviors, that tone of voice, those volumes, it would mean that you're angry.
0: Yeah, that's true. I can see that. Sure. And
2: Michael says you cannot know and... and boy has this, you know, come across in spades especially if somebody tries to tell him he's angry when he believes he's just being passionate or whatever. So from that perspective, Michael understands you can't really know what's going on in the other person.
0: Mhm.
2: And he, and he has had it as one of his verbatim teachings. So well, uh, the, 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 the hmm. big issue here, if you were talking to me about that kind of thing, I would probably come fairly quickly to the question of, okay, even if you could know absolutely for certain what the absolute truth is of what's going on in that other person, how mm-hmm. will that change what you're doing in, That's in, in your life question. That's in the next day or week or month? Yeah, And I if agree. it's going to make any significant difference, then I'll help you wrestle with it and maybe come up with some different ways to look at it. But if it's not mm-hmm. something that's going to make a direct impact on your choice for moving forward with your life, then you can begin to see, oh, this is a distraction from my own issues. Yeah, And then you can make a, a more informed choice about whether or not you want to continue with that distraction or give it up.
0: That makes sense. Yeah, one one example, this is not the person I've been trying to deal with.
1: This is just Michael in my own
0: house. He spends a lot of time stroking and telling my cats and his dog that he loves them. And when they go out, he says, "Be careful. Be careful." And when he te- when I go out, he says, "Be careful." And I tell myself he's doing this because he's had a very hard time out there and he spends a lot of time in fear. If I tell myself that and can stay neutral, but oftentimes I'm no longer neutral, I feel some kind of judgment. I'm not sure what it is exactly. Um, Annoyance or something. Susan? Yeah?
2: Yes. There's a bottom line there's a bottom line observation that reads I will never be upset about anything anybody else ever says or does, or doesn't do that I think they should, unless mm-hmm. I'm still judging myself negatively for doing the same or similar thing. Okay. So if I ask you to just take a little trip down memory lane mm-hmm. to five or six years ago when you first got introduced to this work how would you assess your level of calm versus anxiety on a daily basis
0: oh much 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 less greater calm less
2: anxiety okay so you used to have a lot of anxiety slash fear in your life right are you proud of that Yeah. You're proud of your anxieties and fears?
0: No, that I have less of them.
2: Yes. You are not proud of the fact that you used to have so much anxiety and fear. Right. You judge that as being less than. Right. You still have not yet dismantled the negative judgments against yourself for being whatever you would call it, a worry wart or uh, yeah. well, a fearmonger cool. or mm-hmm. that is most likely the root of the discontent you're experiencing when when you judge Michael as being fearful the Michael who lives in your house, is being fearful.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: And so if you started to do some worksheets about, or if you began with the, the, the exercise that says, when was a time in the recent or distant past that you were filled with fear or anxiety about something that you're still not very proud of? whether it was worry about one of your grandsons or worry about you know, talking to somebody at church. or And just let, let yourself ask that question and watch what bubbles up and trust that whatever bubbles up is a really good target for either a lot of EFT tapping or some breath work or some worksheets. Mm-hmm. And dismantle that part of you that's really still unhappy really still judging you negatively for your own anxieties and worries. And by the time you've done that, when you take a breath and get centered and come back to the present moment and think about your housemate, Michael, you'll have an entirely different view of his situation. There'll be compassion in the space where now there is judgment.
0: I love that.
2: Well, to get there, you're going to have to dismantle your negative thoughts about yourself. Now, we're talking directly from Lesson 3 in the Way of Mastery. Do you hear it? Do you see it? Do you feel it? Do you see the the direct parallel to what we were just reading in the Way of Mastery? Say no. No. Just go ahead and say no so I, can, so I can jump into my teaching yeah. mode here.
0: <laughs> go for it. Yeah. All no. right, so here
2: we are, lesson three, and it says uh, reactivity indicates the need for self-forgiveness. In other words, applying the process of dismantling your false perceptions and judgments inside yourself. Rest assured, you will continue to project upon others or upon your, if Michael Rice would say, upon your mind's image of others, whatever remains unhealed and undismantled or unforgiven within yourself. So each time Mm -hmm. you react to another, you're being given a sign that there's some kind of an energy presented to you, to your awareness that you have not dismantled within yourself. If you're judging him as being wrong or weak for being fearful, it means you're still judging yourself negatively for times when you've been wrong or weak or fearful. This you is know, exactly, it's exactly mm-hmm. the bottom line observation. It's exactly this thing from Lesson 3. Go ahead. Just that
0: the person I was alluding to and then Michael the the objection and the observation or the perception or the projection or whatever it is comes so immediately and I am not at all aware of how this is my garbage unless they are a better mirror than the reflection is stronger than me just standing there I don't know how to put it but I understand well, what you're well, saying
2: yeah well, one way to think about it is that I am so powerfully negatively judging this. It's so uncomfortable for me to see that I used to be you know fawning for other people or I used to be a worry ward or I used to be a scaredy cat or I used to be a bully or whatever it is that's in me that I is so so uncomfortable to look at that I I have to have a way to distance myself from it in order to look at it at all. And so I project it into my mind's image of somebody else. And it happens in a heartbeat. It happens instantaneously. And that's what the way of mastery says. It says, you know, it's an instantaneous process. That the moment we pretend we are not creating everything we experience, in that instant, projection happens. And our mind shows us the picture of somebody else doing the very thing that we are not willing to look at within ourselves. Yeah. And so, as you just said, it happens so quickly, you can't catch it right away, especially in the beginning. So how Mm -hmm. how do you make progress on this? You understand that the truth is true always and everything about my negative reactions is always self-created so i step back and i i do the process and i say okay how is it that i am creating a, this negative response Because of judgments I'm still holding against myself. How can I uncover those negative judgments of myself and dismantle them? That's what I need to do before I start deciding about how to treat or respond to the other person. What were you going to say? Yeah.
0: When you use the example of how afraid I used to be, I haven't been aware of being in judgment of my fearful self at all. It was just a thing. I still don't have any emotion connected to it now. I just feel if glad that, were true, that I do
2: if, if that were true, you wouldn't have negative emotions toward other people you see being fearful.
0: I think that's true. Probably it's true, but I don't feel or experience it. I'm listening to what you're saying, and I, it makes total sense. I'm just saying one side of it is totally inaccessible. The other side is right in my face, and it's the other guy.
2: Okay, but I'm trying to give you the exercise you can start using to uncover that within yourself. Right? You can say, all right, when in the recent or even a way distant past was I... A worrywart, or a fearmonger, or a gossiper, or whatever it is that your, you know, your mind seems to be telling you has got your upset going today. When in the recent or distant past have I done that? And trust whatever shows up, and okay. then do your breath work, or your tapping, or your worksheets around that. Remember mm-hmm. yourself at that younger age and go back and find a way to get very clear about what was going on for you at that time and understand the ways in which you were just doing the best you could with whatever resources you had. Mm -hmm. And you'll develop compassion for that younger self. And that compassion will be there when you open your eyes today and look at the current situation. You'll be looking at this other person through those eyes of compassion, through that filter of compassion. It's, it's literally just like gravity. This is just how it works. I'm never going to be upset about anything anybody else ever says or does or doesn't do that I think they should unless I'm still judging myself negatively for doing the same or similar thing. Way of Mastery says, hey, look, how do you think you could even be aware that if somebody murders The body of another person that that's wrong unless you've had murderous thoughts you've you've known that energy within yourself it takes one to know one all minds are joined it's the same message and it comes at us in all these different ways so we can keep massaging it until we feel the truth of it in our direct experience
0: I had an example of that, doing that, really successfully doing it in one situation. Just last night, I woke up with my demons out, and when I wake up in the middle of the night and have, you know, awful like the cat that ran away from my son's house and never been heard from again, I feel terrible for her. The feelings are so powerful. Or it might be something else, it's just things come to mind that are, painful that I uh, allow to hurt. And then I remember Michael downstairs telling me he tries not to think because when he thinks, he just ruminates and torments himself with all the bad things that people have done to him, all the way he's been gypped and mistreated and misunderstood and stolen from. And, and he, he told me that about the ruminating some time back, and I felt frustrated. I thought, well, man, you've got to do some work on it. When I woke up in the night, I thought, I'm doing what he does. Right now, here I am, and it is awful. And I felt differently about Michael. So you're saying this this kind of realization can spread out over everything.
2: Well, uh, what, I, what I'm saying is that there... You know, Michael Rice talks about natural law rather than the laws of man, and and true law is not something anybody can break. It's just the way things work. And we either right. function in accordance with the way things work or we get broken, so to speak. We we feel the negative consequences. That's all I'm talking about here. If this is true, yeah. and the only way for you to prove for it to yourself whether it's true is to just experiment with it, if it's true, it's the only way you're going to dismantle this negative pattern of emotions that you have that go along with that judgment. That there's something I can total... in, inappropriate of for Michael choosing fear or whatever you you know when he when the cats go out oh be safe and when you go out, oh be safe and you say okay he's free. he's living in fear. If any part of you is generating any kind of a negative emotional response. And blaming it on that, the only way yeah. you'll dismantle it is to understand the truth of how it's working. That makes sense.
0: So when Michael Rice says, be glad when your teacher comes to you, and and you were saying, you're not always so glad. Well, you don't have to be glad, glad, but you can be grateful, or you can notice that this is an opportunity anyway. Yeah, that's good
2: yeah you know that that be glad about it business that's that's a personal preference some people have, and some people like to pretend they're glad until they you know fake it till they make it kind of thing, and some people mm-hmm. you know i'm I'm more in that category of I'm just going to try and be honest with you I don't feel any gladness about this. <laughs> I might have some relief after yeah. I've dismantled things
0: Hmm. but it still bad.
2: doesn't put me in the place of, boy, am I so glad that happened.
0: I have a friend, and it's known throughout. It's common, and there's a swear word in it, but, oh, no, another effing opportunity to grow.
2: Did you follow that? you know, yeah, absolutely. And Guy Finley says, you know, we don't function this way. Who among us says, Mm. oh, great, another fearful moment? Nobody (laughs) does that. We don't like our fearful moments. And yet, as he says, the lessons we need to learn in life ride into our lives on the back of the events we do not want.
0: Right. Yes. Thank you, And us not
2: wanting them is very, very powerful and true. As yeah. much as the value of the lesson. And he says... The importance of the lesson, the value of the lesson is directly proportionate to how strongly we don't want it.
0: Right. Oh, boy.
2: Oh, so, I realize we've gone right up past our first hour, so I will mute you. Thank you so much for the comments and questions. <laughs> Thank you, Belinda, for your questions earlier. I will remind us that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love, we actually are love, and everything else is false, welcome Jeannie Rice.
1: Thank you, Dr. Tim. Awesome conversation as usual.
2: (laughs) You're welcome and deserving. Have a wonderful show.
1: Thanks. So welcome everybody to the second hour of MindShift Radio, and today is Thursday, December the 7th, 2023. Call-in number is 563 999-3581, Nine 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 three five eight one, and press one, and that puts you into Q to talk to us. So well, we know you want to um, not just listen, but you have a question or a comment, and we'd love to hear from you because it makes it your show. And we will give Michael a moment to dial in, and there he is. So welcome, Michael. And I hear you talking, but not through the phone.
4: You you want me to undo my mute button? Okay, I'll do it. There it is. We're on it. Thank you. Delight to be here. Delight to get to see what unfolds in our conversation today. Looking forward to how we might take this work to the next level of being available to every mind, heart, and being on the planet, our ultimate goal. I'm thinking with some new writing that I'm doing, how we get this to more and more people and realizing that people live by their stories Been wondering how that might be able to facilitate and unify people, you know, people who live in a different story, you know, they're on a different side of an argument. One person's got one story, the other's got another. How do you unify them when their stories are different? But realizing that there's one story that's pretty much universal. It happens to be the title of my book. Why is this happening to me again? People ask themselves that question over and over and over and realizing that might be a point from which to begin unifying people in the conversation about, rather than where where most people's "why is this happening to me?" again story ends in blame. How to move people off of the blame into responsibility? Create a space where this conflict and strife that just Governs a game for so many people, can come to an end and step into a space where the use of the tools to put the end to why is this happening to me again, rather than trying to force somebody else to change, might just be a key way into opening the space for healing. So I hope that you're on the healing path and that this work is assisting and supporting you in moving in that direction and learning to remove all forms of hostility and fear from your life and step into the space where literally he gets to function out of the presence of love as the presence of love and gets to play that game with everybody else that you interact with so how would that impact your life, if your story, when it happens, whatever it is, instead of being about how somebody else needs to change, if your story, if your explanation to yourself of whatever's going on in your life led you to a conversation with yourself about yourself, rather than where most people end up with a conversation about somebody else needing to change in order for their lives to change. How would that change your life? How would that change your story? And if you start questioning yourself as to why this is happening to me again, based upon recognizing your participation in what goes on in your world. The realization of the fact that the the space where the change needs to take place is inside rather than on the outside. So does that fit? Does that make sense for everybody? And if so, rather than this story about your parents or your spouse or your children or your boss or your government or the world, you walk away from a conflict and your whole conversation is 100% to yourself about yourself. Because you'll notice if you've been through a particular conflicting situation, as I like to say, 87 different times with 42 different people, you recognize you're the only one that was there every time, and that whatever it is that's going on is yours and it's about you. And what are you ready to do about it? I thought the conversation that Dan brought up yesterday when he called in and spoke about looking at the historical conversation that comes out of his family system being about victimhood, that there's a change that needs to happen inside in order for that game to be different. Was a powerful one, so thank you
2: for that, Dan.
4: And if you're with us today, what's on your mind? What's got your imagination captive in terms of where your life needs to go in order to unfold exactly the way you want it to unfold. I was listening this morning to some conversations about different religions, you know, putting my ear to the, to the earth on different stories and how so many times even the religious stories are about how it's somebody else's fault. and recognizing that a conversation about responsibility is one of those profound conversations you can have. Living in this state of denial, thinking or speaking as of something outside of us is the cause of something that's going on inside of us, leads us to have to hide something from ourselves in order to move forward. Whereas a conversation about oneself means that things get uncovered. The root of the why is this happening to me again experience comes to light when one is looking within rather than looking without. In our workshop on communication, did you hear what I think I said? We offered the definition of the word, word as a tool of communication. And many people talk, 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 and have no interest in communication at all. All they want to do is tell their story. Whereas communication in the definition of this work is to recognize that I have a reality in my mind that I want to transfer intact to your mind. And that when I use words for that purpose, I'm actually communicating. Where many people are just telling their story. I can remember times when I've said to someone, well, you know, I've heard your story quite a few times. And what I'm inviting you to do is to look inside at what's going on and people go into a fit of rage over what, you don't want to listen to my story? It's like, hmm, not really. I've heard so many stories before, but what about the work that needs to be done to clean up our stories? So what does that resonate for you? If you're out there in this land, our call-in number, if you're on one of those stations where we can't see you, is 563-999-3581. If you call that number, you're listening directly to the show. And if you push 1, that raises hand, and we'll be having a conversation. How can we support you in your healing process? What's on your mind today?
1: We have two hands up. The first one, though, is Susan, and she was talking to Dr. Tim at the end of his show, so it may Uh, be that her hand is still up. I didn't know you were still connected. We had a team, and Tom is with our team. Okay, I guess she's talking to somebody else. That's it. You got your answer. (laughs) We'll we'll go to the second one, and it's Celinda, 541. You're on the air.
4: Hello. Good morning. Welcome. Good morning. Welcome, young lady. How can we support you today? What's on your mind?
3: Well, what you were just asking for was feedback, and um, I'm I'm either growing a lot of, of brain cells, sort of like got a popcorn popper going in there, or these have been exceptionally good broadcasts. So many of the last month's broadcasts is that you and Dr. Tim have actually, whether you know it or not, Supported each other by the content of your own shows um helping sweet others yeah and I, and it's just like sweet for me, and i um I'm sitting on my hands and taping my mouth because my want is to go tell everybody the good news, right, and you have reminded us oh, quite frequently about John the Baptist, so um.
2: <laughs> losing your head. <laughs> got to be careful
3: I know. I know and so i'm waiting for discernment about that but i see my family members especially struggling and actually my community which is my larger my larger family i feel very very bonded to this community which is a delightful feeling to have and um, i and i'm beginning to see that my uh, uh in one of committees I'm working on, on our Pine Valley 2050, which is the several of the community members got together and said, hey, we as a community, as a whole community, need to sit down and envision how we want our community to be in 2050, because change is going to happen, period. Ryan. And so I see, um, and I got on some a Dark Skies International Committee actually. We're trying to make this a Dark Skies Reserve. Awesome. Um, I know. I know. <laughs> With our little... The same thinking has
4: been going on for me. We actually yeah, had a yeah. – and and unfortunately, I missed it. There was a call to the community. I didn't see it till several days after it closed on, you know, what do you want to see in the next years coming in, in here in Bristol? And that was exactly one of the things that I wanted to put out. In fact, we've been thinking about how we can get a couple of street lights that are shining over our native species garden turned off uh, right. so that or, uh, these yeah, critters sure. can recoup you know in in a, in the environment they they were they've for thousands of years have been living in
5: well, and uh, so i'm I'm with
4: you on that dark skies idea
3: the dark skies international they have um uh, sponsored in the past for communities that are dark skies communities the street lights that shine the light only on the spot where it's supposed to illuminate
4: right and then and downward instead of up.
3: Yeah, and so instead of turning the light off, it allows safety to continue to be for the community, but at the same time, it honors the wildlife and our health situation, our health problems and everything else, so it is doable. Both, it doesn't have to be an either-or situation, which is exciting for us. Uh, But I just wanted to mention that um, this lady on this committee, when I said, I'm not an organizer, I'm not interested in organizing, I don't really like to go to meetings, Um, I don't know how I can be of help here, but I want to be of help. And she says, oh, honey, you're just a convener. (laughs) You just sit there. And I said, okay, I've got my (laughs) pom-poms. I'll just be an encourager and um, try to be a bridge. Uh, and so um, that's I'm beginning to think that is my secondary purpose in life. I'm a convener. and I that's kind of exciting. So anyway, I just wanted to share with you how I am appreciating both shows. I get on whenever I can, and uh, I listen to the um, uh, what I miss as often as I can. And I just wanted to take my pom poms out. And go
4: so tell me about uh, your your vision of yourself as a convener.
3: Well, I think I mentioned to you once before in a conversation that um, COVID was really a learning experience for me to help me get out of my head and into my heart and get out of um, even sharing. It didn't even have to be that I was preaching. I could be sharing, but other people could perceive me preaching and feel threatened, especially if they hold very strong viewpoints one way or another. And I don't. I just say, no mandates, please. (laughs) Let's live and let live and do our very best to take care of our health and uh, on on all levels. And uh, when I realized that even I couldn't even share that very well in the height of the COVID pandemic, I just, um, I went to the heart. And I said, you know, if I don't see love when I look out there, that must mean there's forgiveness work I have inside of myself. So I think what I'll do is I will start verbally expressing my acceptance of others and and I and the way I hit upon it Michael and Jeannie is I just said hey I'm 79 years old I have a license to call you sweetie or honey <laughs> and so I just started calling people sweetie honey dear heart um, dear one you know whatever popped out of my mouth and I got some really strange looks especially from the men right but um, anyway uh, it's I see it softening people up And I and I see it softening me up Okay And so Now what I do That's my that's my main approach Is to see Christ in others And I Do my best to shut my mouth And not tell them how to do this Because I have no clue myself I'm just practicing what I think is going to work <laughs> So anyway i just share that with you Yeah it's not so much in what I do; it's who I am. That's how I see my second, dairy purpose. It really segues into my primary purpose. Yeah, the doing cool. second is secondary. Yeah. So I thought I'd help you because I'm still practicing, and I've got a lot of practice in a lot of arenas. Especially because I've got velcro on my butt, and I like to sit too much, and in, textual, in T- Intellectualize too much, and so between you and Jeannie and 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 Dr. Tim and all of the people who um, call in, especially Dan yesterday, that really touched me because I have a real soft heart towards the Jewish culture. I'm just sure I have a Jew in the woodpile somewhere. I would be delighted to find that out. So anyway, I would. Uh, Uh, I just would I've got my pom-poms out Go ladies and gentlemen (laughs) Dear ones Go (laughs) You're doing wonderfully And it's so so sweet To be on a path um, That is so supportive Of all sides of the situation Yeah
2: Awesome
4: Awesome Well, we'll hold space for your listening ear to facilitate and bring forward the presence of human life wherever you land, and we'll join you in doing that.
3: Well, I'll tell you what, if you all are interested in knowing what we're doing in the dark skies and how we're struggling and trying to come together and focus and and, and encourage. Um, We've got a little Dark Skies Northeast Oregon Stars, and I could give you the chair's um, uh, email address, and you could just ask to be put on as a floating member and then you'll at least get our news. You don't have to do anything, join anything or anything else. Just um, And then that puts your name on their list as a, just as a member, an outlying member, and then that just gives more credence to Dark Skies International as we work towards the requirements to become a Dark Sky International Um um am going to call it organization right <laughs> cool. yeah, I appreciate if you, you do some that ideas. yeah and if there was a number when you missed that that opportunity in your community maybe um, you could just contact the person and see uh, how you can get on board after the fact that it might be a possibility Ryan. okay yes. I talked, I've chattered away enough um, thank you so much Less.
4: All right. You have a blessed one. Appreciation. Yeah, the, uh, there's some interesting videos on YouTube, if you haven't watched them, where they're talking about the long-term impact of light pollution, how as cities grow and point their lights toward the sky more and more insects suffer right down to some of the smallest of creatures that no longer have the ability to navigate by the stars, which they've proven that some creatures do because the stars aren't visible anymore. And uh, it's an interesting topic, and we see it here where we've been developing this native species garden and realizing that there are many species that we want to attract to our garden and because the city happens to have a light right outside of the garden space, and these creatures don't get to uh, to ever see a night sky which, how many thousands of years have the critters who were here long before we were had a night sky to live under. Had a had a darkened sky. Had a uh, a night sky without pollution. Just another one of those things to think about. What we do as human beings to our Earth as we. Expand out sometimes without consideration to those we share the earth with. It's just an interesting topic if you care to look into it. And hey, Mancini, were you able to get back on, sweetie?
1: Yes, I did. Can you hear me, okay, though what the reason I had to get off you. is It was like it, you all were bubbly. <laughs> oh
4: really, okay, no, you're live and clear sweetie.
1: okay, good. Um, I found an article. I'm actually going to put a link uh, in the notes for today, and it says artificial light at night may be contributing to an ecological Armageddon. And it talks about the drastic decline of insects were reported in Germany. The research was done on a biomass of flying insects that they decreased more than 75% over a 27-year period. And it talks about, you know, that they need the night sky for um, navigation. Right. So I'm putting a link to that article in the notes for today, too. Cool. Awesome. So somebody press one. We have 34
4: minutes. Yeah, if you're out there in listener land, how can we support you? What's on your mind? How is this work impacting you? Is there a way we can support you in carrying forward your understanding of the process of forgiveness and all the corollary tools that go along with it? You know, If you're not using the forgiveness process, we invite you to go to our website, whyagain.org. And in the upper left-hand corner, you'll see a link that says Start Here. If you click that link... And that will open a space where you'll be able to walk through you know, everything that we've developed over the years around this idea of forgiveness and all of the tools that go hand in hand with this process and the technology that comes out of the first century Aramaic language was realizing was had a conversation with uh, Michael Tatey this morning and we were talking about the aramaic and and how it's the only language on the planet, at least the only one I know of that is based in the physics of the world rather than based in men's minds. you look at that particular conversation that uh, we're told. Yeshua has with Peter after he comes out of the Garden of Gethsemane, and he directly addresses Peter as Satan. seems like a rather strange thing to do, and then you realize his definition for Satan, and it's got nothing to do with listening to another video, just, you know, Doing research on different topics, but listening to a whole theological discourse based on there's this evil creature that's out there to get us, and and he's getting us, and he's getting us, and he's getting us, he's getting us in this arena, and that arena, and that arena, and that. I mean just ad nauseum, as though Satan were something outside of us and how people ignore the very words of the man they proclaim to follow, who in that particular conversation with Peter calls Peter Satan. And then he tells us what the word means. Stuck in your own carbon-based memories is for you think in the mind of man rather than the plan of the creator. When we're stuck in the perceptual systems of our memory bank, then we're locked in a space that we're not designed to live in as human beings. And the genius of this man, Yeshua, to give us a tool to collapse that mind, to literally be out of our minds, if our mind is doing nothing but replicating realities from the past and be restored to the real mind that we're designed to live in, which is not carbon-based memory, that we're designed not to be informed by our past, although information from the past can be useful, but if we're stuck in that past that our creative process is limited to, what has gone on in the past, alluded to the advice of the past rather than the advice of a neutral, present love that can lead us out of the past, out of the cycles of why is this happening to me again? You'll oftentimes hear me, hear me say, and I, and I say it kind of tongue-in-cheek, but I really mean it is, in order to heal, we've got to be out of our minds. It, the, the trauma that we experience, you know, aside from, of course, somebody punching you in the nose, the trauma that we tend to live in or that humans tend to often live in is simply the repeating traumas of their own perceptual systems. Knowing how to collapse your perceptual system. And doing the work of collapsing it is the actual definition of forgiveness. The genius of this mind that showed us that perception... Is driven by goals, and that the eradication of a particular goal for the moment, not meaning you don't you, you, you can never go toward that and gain, but recognizing that if I load a goal in my mind and my mind serves up a construct based in some form of some form pardon me of hostility or fear, that my pathway out of that is to collapse that output from my mind, introduce the active presence of love to the hidden part of my own mind so that my own healing can occur. So I can heal those things of degeneration. When they talk about look to the lives of the fathers for ours but the shadow of theirs upon the earth. Most people are living in the shadow of the unresolved pain and trauma of their generations, never realizing that it's happening inside of them and repeated because who has the tools with which to collapse those, collapse into the source of the calamities of one's own mind, the underlying dynamic. And in so doing, rid oneself of that dynamic. It's pretty awesome. Pretty awesome that somebody had that understanding. You can access the tool of forgiveness, not just on the website, but we have the world's only forgiveness app. If you go to your app store, I was actually talking to a gentleman who's been doing this work, well, you've heard him speak on the show several times over the years, Patrick McGann, fellow naturopath, somebody I've known for better than a half century, and he was saying that he had had just embarked on a project of doing some worksheets on the app in the Dragon Klingon game, rather than the adult form of the worksheet that he was working with, the Dragon Klingon game, That's another aspect of the forgiveness app, bringing forgiveness to children through a game. And he was finding it was interesting, and he was getting some insight in terms of his own process by using that tool. There are actually three different tools in the app, and the way you access the app is just go to your app store and do a search, and the search term... Heartland, H-E-A-R-T-L-A-N-D, one word, Heartland, Aramaic, A-R-A-M-A-I-C, Forgiveness. When you do that, there may be a few things that come up in your search bar. One of them will have a red glowing heart. That's the app. Download it. You can do a, a simplified form of the Forgiveness Worksheet process. You can do the full form. Or you can play the Dragon Klingon game. It's a way to introduce forgiveness to children.
1: You have a hand up.
4: Great. Let's say hello.
1: It's area code 904. I think it's dusty.
5: <laughs> yes, it is. Aloha, everybody.
1: Good uh, as Aloha. As well. Welcome,
4: good sir.
5: Yes, I'm I'm glad to be here. Um, <clears throat> the uh, I, I have a question about the um, Kiboris, Kaboras. Kiboris. Right? The Kiboris
2: manuscript. And,
5: right. And now most, most, and it's not all of the uh, Aramaic uh, uh, words and uh, worldview concepts, whatever, comes pretty much from the Kiboris Codex, or that.
4: What we've been working with, yes, that's the manuscript that's at the root of this work. Is what comes out of the Kabours. I wonder if you could uh,
5: tell us, folks, uh, just just a, a, a bit of that history, so we I know we know the um, um, you know more of the source of this.
4: Well, back in the 70s, a fellow who was a partner of mine who would eventually become a partner of mine, he wasn't back in the 70s, but they were working on, he was actually a, a real estate attorney in Atlanta, and he was actually engaged in a lawsuit against the government. And I don't know all of the details of it, but one of the, uh, the things that caught his attention was how... Some of the people involved in that lawsuit were, it seemed not the least bit interested in truth, but were pursuing a goal other than the truth, simply winning the lawsuit Uh, they were engaged in,
1: and that set uh, him on a
4: search, and ultimately, he ended up... Hearing from British intelligence, he became interested in you know being an attorney he became interested in in the uh the prison system in America and through some communications that uh that uh came to him through british intelligence he how can i put this he He became informed by them came to understand that. If he could bring a shift within that system, within the people in that system, that it would be something that could be spread throughout the world. And he ended up working with the Aramaic language. And uh, he had a translator who owned a, a family manuscript, a fellow named Malik. And it was about a 7th century manuscript that was not complete and so he put together an expedition to the Middle East and went searching for an earlier and more complete manuscript and they ended up on the Khybor River in Turkey which is the way that the manuscript got its name, it came from you know the, the name of it being the Kaburis. it was a monastery on the Khyber River in Turkey and through some negotiations that took place, they ended up leaving Turkey with this manuscript and it became the foundation of the work of uh, um, Dan McGougald. It was several years down the road that I met Dan and the manuscript is a uh, proclaims the the imprimatur, which would be kind of like the the, um, certification that you know, an, official might, an official stamp would be put on it, uh, the Emperor Mature said that it was a copy of a second century text, took it, that, took it back to approximately 164 A.D., so it ends up becoming the oldest complete copy known of the Aramaic New Testament.
5: Oh, that's fascinating! I didn't know you came about it that way. That's amazing.
4: And back um, in the seventies, there's yeah. been no actual translation work done since the project kind of ran out ran out of money in the seventies. But it, in its origins, there were about twenty. There were twenty five of the world's top aramisists who were working with Dan. He, being an attorney, used the rules of evidence to determine what you know when when he would send passages out to these 25 different translators they'd come back and he'd correlate them and he used the rules of evidence that he'd learned for the courtroom for determining what got into the translation what didn't and uh he became the the person who balanced what what went in what went out he had several Um, native Aramaic speakers that he worked with as advisors, and that became the root of it, and and out of that came the discovery of what first-century Aramaic forgiveness was, that it wasn't about letting somebody else off the hook for what was going on inside of them, that it was about... Collapsing the perceptual mind so that there was room for truth to show up rather than the biases of the perceiving mind.
5: So this is an, um, so the Kabbars manuscript then is um, is a, a rather impeccably researched um, in terms of the semantics and the worldview that it
4: presents. Well, I would imagine that um some people might have different standards as to what they would consider impeccable. So I'm well, not sure well, that everyone would consider it that, but uh but for me the uh the functionality of it put it in that category for me, and that's why I've dedicated the last 40 plus years of working with it and in this in particular bringing forward the forgiveness process to the world.
5: Well, I'm quite grateful for all the people in that line and the uh, motivations uh, that brought that forward because uh, I think it's (laughs) very timely, if not, you know, past timely and um, good info.
4: I'm with you in that.
5: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so I, I... One reason I bring this up, I haven't even had a chance to look through it, but uh, in the process of realizing that I had your address, probably in about 37 different places, still couldn't find it, I went went to the Abbotson box and was rummaging around making sure I had uh, an address. Uh, People's addresses changed, and uh, I never know. I never know. And I found A copy that some son of a gun had put in the bottom of the box, and I would like and to. And you didn't that realize company. it was there. I did not know it was there. Until oh my late goodness! Last night. You just
4: found. Oh wow! Yeah. So it's a real. Well, I'm treasure, glad you found it after these years.
5: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No kidding. What's it I'm been you? I'm a late bloomer. Okay. You know, I get it, and uh, but I, uh, I, I. A thanks for putting that in there. I What a treat. That was like
4: Christmas. Well, yeah. a really, and I don't remember whether I put a note in there to this effect, because whenever I hand the manuscript or, you know, somebody gets a copy of the manuscript, one of the things I suggest that they do is ignore the translation of the Beatitudes from Matthew 5, uh-huh. And just take the, the key words, you know, the way that the the, uh, the passages are laid out, just take the key words and translate it. Go back into the back of the book where you've got that uh, first century uh, uh, dictionary and translate that, like really get into it and get a sense of it uh, out of those words, your own, you know, translating of it. And everybody that does that finds it to be a very powerful process. Oh, okay. I know it was the second time that I went through it. And I'd always been taught, as with a lot of things, that, you know, well, it's, just a, it's a nice philosophy. Look at this. And I remember it was the second time, and this goes back geez, 30-some years ago, it was the second time I went through it doing that longhand that I realized this isn't just about a nice philosophy, this is a set of instructions. This is about how to achieve a result. And that just transformed the Beatitudes for me, like, monumentally. And I realized the same when... Dealing with what people call the lord's Prayer that most people sit around and by rote repeat repeat, repeat, which is one of the things Jesuit said don't do that it's crazy um that that they're both sets of instructions it's about how to achieve a particular result, and that just transforms it all for me
5: yeah i I like that and um you know, I kind of do that with just about every uh, works, regardless of what part of time and space it comes from. Um, you know, just try to extract, okay, this leaps out. But what you said about going back around the second time, you know, it's funny, I did that um, <clears throat> with the, uh, of all things, the uh, uh, um, Paramahansa Yogananda's Autobiography of a Yogi, And I read that in 69, and, you know, I was really quite uh, buoyed and moved, and it helped. It just helped. It was a beautiful, beautiful thing and well and engaging uh, as a story. And so about uh, 15 years ago, I decided, well, I'm going to reread that and see if it's one of those things, you know, that you read that's dated and like an old movie kind of thing, you know, and uh, it's campy or something. And I went back and read it, and I went, oh, my gosh. And and the, this major oh, my gosh, which was a capital gosh, uh, was when he had an asterisk. And you, I would go down below, and the first reading, I didn't so much as look at all that. As instructions, right? But the second time I went through, I realized that's where the shiniest gems were, where he would explain mm-hmm. exact processes and things. And I guess that's what I'm hearing you say.
4: That would be my offering. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
5: Well, there's something to be said for that, and because um, um, I have a tendency to scan things quick and try to, because there's so much data and info available, although not much on the Aramaic, but some. And um, um, But then I realized uh, some, I need to go back sometimes and then go, okay, I'm going to do a little longer version of that. And uh, there's almost always gems, and, and anything written that was written for Oh, shall we say, uh, truth and heart stuff. And this uh, manuscript, I'm looking forward to to just kind of diving into parts of it. I'm I'm just uh, pleased, and I thank you for this.
4: Delighted. Well, I'm glad you found it.
5: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, your program has everything but a jingle. (laughs) You know, a little, duh, boom, boom, a little song at the beginning of your program. But anyways, uh, um, that did occur to me in some sideways moment of inner levity. Well,
4: maybe, maybe you should write us a jingle.
5: Maybe I should. I already did incorporate Ruka, the Kucha into this one song I already had, but it was a song I already had, uh, although... You know, yeah, it's a, it's a good topic. So I may, I may do just that. <laughs> cool. And, um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I've got it sitting here, and it's a little bent, the uh, because it's been sitting in that box all this time, you know, with things on it. And uh, so that's part of my Christmas treat, as it were, going through that.
4: Nice, nice. Well, it'll be fun to hear your discoveries as you go through it,
5: how it okay, impacts sure. you, what it
4: says to you. And uh yes you know, so it'd be cool for you to just any time that uh something's clicking for you to uh come and share it with our audience. I've actually thought about um you know, Dr. Timson going through the way of mastery and I've thought mm-hmm. about maybe uh going through the, the Kabor's manuscript that way. So
1: Okay.
5: Well I'll 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 think of that in the back of my mind as I go through it and um and, uh, and of course, some things will leap out for me that may not leap out for everybody else, but, um, uh, yeah, I'll do just that, by golly. And, and so I want to wish, uh, I realize, I want to be the first one on the block to wish everybody a happy holiday season, whether it's Christmas for you, it, it is for me, and uh, or whatever it is. Um, if nothing else, it's the solstice, so... Kwanzaa, uh, New Year. Kwanzaa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing, all those, and how um, how the uh, solstice got kind of co-opted, and it's not co-opted, but used. And, uh, and uh, I'm assuming Christmas was uh, referring in, to, at least in part, the um, uh, solstice. So I, I, that to me is the beginning of Christmas. I think that's about three or four days before, something like that. So,
4: you know, one of the, uh, you know, we have this verbiage in our culture that talks about holidays, and and when we recognize that that word holiday is a shortened version of what these things were set aside for were holy days, that they were yeah. days for, there were times where community celebrated wholeness and the discovery of wholeness and the expression of wholeness, uh, not not necessarily the, uh, the again, the co-opted word holy being, you know, down on your knees with your hands folded, but rather that they were uh, a a time to to come apart from the society for a while and step into deeper levels of our wholeness. So I certainly hold that space for everybody as we enter this uh, this season. That at least a part of each person's energy is dedicated toward that stepping into wholeness, the way we are designed to live as human beings. Yes, I.
5: I, I that's beautifully put. Um, and it, it just kind of brought up a memory that, um, and I liked it, There's there was a couple, and, and they were the only, uh, 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 you know, Afro-American descent people in this beach that I've ever known that lived here, and there's a young couple, and they were very hip, and they, uh, anyways, I knew them, and uh, they would say every day, Merry Christmas, <laughs> of the year, they would say that, as a way of, you know, saying "Okay, behold, be reborn." Da 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 da. All all that can be within that construct, and and of course, it is every day. In fact, it's every freaking moment. So, um, um, so I wish everybody a uh, a merry Christmas and a wholeness. Three hundred and sixty-four plus whatever it is, accepted. And, um, yeah yeah and one last i thing for me because i know we're running close here um yeah we' got that, time. um the so especially more and more recently uh i i i i live alone in this place right now and uh <laughs> and it's uh it's easy to get into a, a mind wander that means nothing. You know, in fact, usually it's on something stupid, you know what I mean, and, um, uh, and so I come to realize, and I guess this is for all of us, but I come to realize that um, you know, every moment, I mean, we only have so many moments uh, in this body time, in this life, and uh, to waste it on something that means less than zero, I, I'm getting so I I um, am kind of fed up with myself on those moments. I mean, I don't beat myself up for it too much, but you know that it all counts. That every moment is a precious moment, and uh, it, and it's always a new moment. So whatever whatever has happened or will happen, or you think it's going to happen, whatever it's now, and um, I just. And my intention is to draw near to the source and to the truth. And that's and certainly in my heart, your heart, everybody's heart, really. But um, use it. I'm trying to use this time. I, I would hope say that I'm being somewhat active. I use this uh, time to not get lost in you know, the culture or other people's misogyny or my own Mishigash, but uh, more towards uh, uh, the divine, whatever you
4: want to call that. Well, joining you in doing that, my friend, I'm with you 100%. I think it was Thank Mother Teresa much. that said, you know, not everyone gets the opportunity to do great things, but we can do the little things that we do with great love. And bringing human life into the experience, and uh, yeah, you're, you're likely you're likely familiar with your breadth of knowledge. The uh, familiar with the book uh, "Chop Wood and Carry Water," mm-hmm. and you know the question being: What do you do before enlightenment? You chop wood and you carry water. What do you do after enlightenment? You chop wood and you carry water. Carry life water. still has to be lived, but <laughs> are we living it in? a non-being state, or are we living as the human beings that we're designed to live as?
5: Yeah, and it's a, and, it, and it's amazing to me that I can find myself just out in some kind of like this nebulosity, and then I go, and I remember kind of who I am or what is, or, and also I can come back into that more of a, a centered light. And um, by the way, I talked to, on the phone, I talked to Mother Teresa one time. Really? Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was, I guess, around the millennial laughter or whatever it was. She set aside a t- time like a Thursday between 1 and 3 or something that she would field in-person phone calls. Well, shoot, nobody knew about it, but I just happened to know this renegade Catholic ex-monker, uh, minister, priest, who did know. And he gave me the phone number and my, my girlfriend was just an absolute she adored everything, Mother Teresa. So I called up the number and sure enough it was Mother Teresa and we had a few words and then I handed the phone over to uh, uh my 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 girlfriend um, I think it was like a Christmas thing or something, so and it sounded just hmm. like her just like just like, you know, and all of film clips or whatever and
4: uh right
5: so that was kind of fun
4: and and what did she have to offer you well what 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 I, was your conversation i
5: engaged her what i engaged her in was mostly getting things set up for my uh for deja who was had been my long uh time girlfriend and uh so I mostly just, you know, it's hello, hi, I thank you very much, da, 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 da. And Deja was teaching. She was an
3: extremely
5: good um, a yoga teacher, and she, she taught more than just huh? posture. High-profile women who were, like, under a lot of stress and were trying to do a lot of good in the world would come to her one-on-one. She would only do one-on-one after a point. And um, so she would – I – mostly I listened in while – um, Deja asked her how to best go about the work, and 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 Mother Teresa said something to the effect of um, "teach them how to pray and pray with them" was the essence of uh, what she imparted, mm. at least to date. It was it was sweet, so and um, so Anyways, I guess I'm going to shag out of here. And uh, thank you so much for having the program, you and
4: Jeannie and all. All right, my friend, jo- joining you in being the presence of love in the world, and uh, anchoring that presence everywhere we go. Have a blessed take care. Thank you. All right, blessings. Bye bye, everybody.